Now, our Bible reading this morning is taken from the prophecy of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. And we're going to have an additional reading of Psalm 133. But let's hear Habakkuk chapter 3. And we'll read from verse 1 right through to verse 13. Let's hear the word of the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigeonoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. And the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea? That thou did ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou did cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thy arrows, they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear, thou did march through the land in indignation, thou did thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thy anointed. Thou windest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. Selah. Let's turn to Psalm 133, please. Psalm 133. And let's hear the word of the Lord there. Psalm 133. Behold... How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the Jew of Hermon, and as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore. 
Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Habakkuk, chapter 3 and verse 9. It reads as follows, Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou did cleave the earth with rivers. Now, my theme today is entitled The Blessed Partnership for True Revival. This morning, we continue with our theme on revival as we have found it in the book of Habakkuk. Remember, Habakkuk was passionate about revival. And this is actually my fifth message on the subject of revival. And I want us to think today of a blessed unity that precedes the unleashing of God's blessing. So we're thinking really of unity before blessing or unity preceding blessing. As I've said, remember Habakkuk, he's been passionate for true revival. He's been praying to the Lord for a long time for an outpouring of God's Spirit. And remember that we have seen already that he, uh, as he began to close his prayer, closed with the words, in wrath, remember mercy. Think of those words. Why did he say, in wrath, remember mercy? Because he remembered God's past dealings with his people. He was acknowledging, at least in his mind, that there was help from God in the past. Think of verse 9. Thy bow was made quite naked. What does that mean? He is thinking of the defense of God's people against their enemies. He's thinking of the um, archer taking the bow out of its case. It's an illustration or an allusion to ancient warfare. The bow was taken out of its case. In order for what? In order to set the arrow upon the cord so that the archer could shoot at the enemy. Literally, it was a sign that the archer was preparing to shoot. And he's thinking about God as the heavenly archer taking the bow out of its case. The answer in verse 8 was the Lord displeased with the nations, including Judah, because of sin. And the answer to that question is yes. And this is a follow-on from verse 8 into verse 9. Because the Lord was indeed displeased with the nations, including Judah, because of sin. And all of this was done. Notice, look at verse 9. According to the oaths of the tribes. Do you see that? He's thinking now of the twelve tribes of Israel. He's thinking of a people and the land that God had entered into a covenant with. The oath that was sworn to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The, 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 the covenant again that was made with David. The covenant was often repeated. It, it was uh, renewed down the years. And, and this oath was a word and a promise about the blessing of his people. 
about the Lord battling on behalf of his people, about the Lord himself blasting and blighting his people because of their sin. And at its heart was a pledge of deliverance, a pledge of blessing that they should be saved and they should be delivered from the hand of their enemies. If you think of the word selah, it's a pause in the Hebrew. It means to think about that. Let this come into your heart. Let this come into your mind. Do you remember the defense and the blessing of God's people is rooted in the mercy of God and comes by the hand of God? And then he adds the words, Thou did cleave the earth with rivers. And you think of the rivers on the earth and the blessing that results from those particular rivers. I also want today to lift up the words and set before you a link to Psalm 133. I want you to think of the tribes of Israel. In the history of the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, there's a history of discord and division among themselves. And oftentimes there was a longing for a blessed unity that would result in the unleashing of God's blessing. Let me illustrate. Think of the long seven-year civil war between the house of Saul and the house of David. It came to an end. David was crowned king at Hebron. And we read in the scriptures that all Israel gathered together at Hebron before David. Hebron has to do with fellowship. And they were saying at that time as they come together, we are all one with you today. In fact, what they said was, we are bone of your bone and flesh of our, your flesh. We are here to support you. We are here to submit and support your coronation as our king. Listen to the word of God in um, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron and made, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed King David over Israel. Now when you turn to Psalm 133, you discover that Psalm 133 is a pilgrim psalm. It was sung as the tribes of Israel drew near to Jerusalem from the far flung corners of the land. You've got to think of men, women, young people and children. They were in each other's company. They, they, they gladly came together to join in fellowship in the house of God. They were all participating in the celebration of the yearly feasts in the Lord's name, the Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. So, so you've got to think of them in the place of fellowship. And there they are together, honoring and worshiping the Lord. They're in company together. They're, they're in conversation together. They're in communion together. They're all there with one heart and one mind dwelling together. Think of this. From all different parts and places of the land, different backgrounds with their own particular likes, their own dislikes, 
And yet they're enjoying what we would call a true Christian fellowship, one with another. Sin has been put away. Discord and division has been repented of. Now, by the grace and mercy of God, they're dwelling together in communion and fellowship. And as they journey, see, this is a pilgrim psalm, journeying to Jerusalem to to honor the Lord, to celebrate the feast. They're, They're singing and praising the Lord. And as they return home, again, they're bursting into song. What are they doing? They're displaying a blessed harmony that is a wonderful, blessed truth. I want you to think of that sense of togetherness, a spirit of unity that exists among God's people. Sadly, it was not always the case. Often the tribes were at war against each other. There were petty jealousies. There were bitternesses. There were harsh words. There was cruel, unjust actions. There were fights. And they were told that they needed to repent and get right with the Lord. And they were told that what was missing from among them was a sense of togetherness, a spirit of unity. And without that spirit of unity, there wasn't going to be the unleashing of God's blessing. And that's what David has exactly in his mind whenever he says there, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like something. And then he gives two illustrations. The precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. It is like the Jew of Hermon, and as the Jew descended upon the mountains of Zion. And then we're told, there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. As we think our way through this thought this morning, uh, the blessed partnership for true revival, I want you to think of three things with me. I want you to think of the emphasis of this blessed partnership for true revival. Look at Psalm 133, and you've got the word behold. The word behold in the Hebrew is a very, very strong, emphatic word. It means to stop and to think. It means to look upon and gaze with the understanding. You see, the emphasis on the word behold is, you need to grasp this. You need to understand this. It's, it's like the sila, only it's a far stronger word than the sila. It's, it's stop and think, yes, but look and understand and perceive and, and, and do your best to grasp. Don't rush past this. Because this is a vital subject. This is an important subject. This is a call about being serious as you live out the gospel in the sweetness of godly fellowship. You've got to think carefully. That There's something of worth here. Something that must be adored. Something that must be considered carefully. Something that's to be desired. Something that's been understood. See, see it's been emphasized here. The grasp And the wonder of true Christian unity among God's people. Consider this blessed communion here. Now, why am I dealing with this in a subject of revival or in a series of messages on revival? Remember what true revival is. It's the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit. And in every true instance of real revival, when God has visited his people especially with a blessed 
outpouring of the Holy Ghost, one of the ways to identify that God has come and there's been a manifestation of his power is also the manifestation of unity among God's people. See, sin is dealt with. Old grudges, bitternesses, jealousies have put away. There's a delight and a desire for true Christian fellowship and communion among God's people. You see, true unity is the outworking of the pouring forth of God's Holy Spirit. And in the house of God, among God's people, old quarrels are made up. Former animosities, well, they're banished and put away. And breaches are healed. Now, you see, the psalmist knows that this is a very important subject. He knows that this is a, a, an aspect of any true revival, not only scripturally, but in society. He's conscious that it needs to be emphasized. The emphasis on a blessed partnership and true revival. There's a strange but a wonderful harmony that comes about among God's people. It prevails when the Spirit of God is at work. And of course, we would have to say the opposite. The absence of a true blessed harmony and communion among God's people is a big hindrance to the church of God and the cause of Christ. You see, when true revival comes, there's always a greater and a deeper emphasis of the unity among God's people. There's a deeper sense of love, a deeper brotherly and sisterly love among God's people. The thought is, how can I help my brother and sister in Christ? How can I do good to the household of faith? And there's an evidence that the Spirit of God is at work. And, and, and when the Spirit of God is at work, there's a greater sense that this unity is linked to, to the blessing of God. And when God's people are united together with one heart and one mind, and the Spirit of God is at work among the saints of God, then there's a standing together as one man. That there's a sitting together in the house of God for worship. That there's a singing together. There, 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 there's a, a, what could be a speaking together. We talk one to another about the things of God. There, there's a strength in togetherness with the Lord at the center, the Lord first and foremost. Now this morning, let me make it clear, I'm not talking about a unity with error. I'm not talking about a false unity of the ecumenical movement. I'm not talking about a, a unity at any price. I'm certainly not talking about unity with the Church of Rome. The Free Presbyterian Church does believe in and stands for a biblical separation. We're not isolationists, but we're separatists unto the Lord. And if you read, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17, or read Revelation chapter 18, you'll discover there that there's a false unity that's sinful. A false unity that's not of God. A false unity that's wrong. And there's a call from God in the Bible to come out from among them and be not partakers of their plagues. Why? Because there is such a thing as biblical separation from error and from falsehood. And that should not be dismissed. Light cannot have true fellowship with darkness. Could Jesus Christ have fellowship with the devil? Can truth have fellowship with error? Can it, can it sit alongside? We have no other option. 
When, when, when darkness comes and, and error raises its head and the devil's at work, we have no other option but to be biblically separated unto the Lord. So the church never has called for an unconditional or an unqualified unity, but there is a true unity. There's a unity of the tribes. And here it is in Habakkuk. And he's thinking as he's praying about revival, as he's passionate about revival, he's thinking that this is according to the oaths of the tribes. Even thy word, the word that God had given his ancient people, promising to bless, but also promising to blight if they fell into sin and didn't repent. If you look again at Psalm 133 very quickly there, look at the word in verse 1. Behold, and how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So it's not everyone, it's brethren. It's for the people of God. It's for those who belong to the household of faith, for those who are saved, for those who are children of God, for those who are in Christ, for those who are in, uh, savingly joined to Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. Are you this morning in union with Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you a testimony to a saving and keeping power? Was there a time when you repented of your sin and you cried unto the Lord for mercy and you said like Peter, Lord, save me? You become a child of God. You belong to the Lord now. You have that testimony. You see, these are the ones that are connected to this particular blessing. The emphasis of a blessed partnership in true revival. Behold, and it has to do with the brethren. And it has to do with dwelling together in unity. And that unity in every true revival precedes the blessing of God. The second thing is this. I want you to think not only of the emphasis of this blessed partnership in true revival, but let's think of the experience of this blessed partnership in true revival. Could I put it to you this morning that this is a precious experience? Notice the words. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as a Jew of Hermon and as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. You see, the word precious there in verse 2, it means something that's rare. Something that's comely. Something that's hard to find. And he describes it using these adjectives as good and pleasant. In other words, it's excellent. In other words, it's something that's valuable, something that's beautiful, something that's comely. It's presented as something that's good and pleasant. And of course, it's a miracle of God's grace and mercy to sinful man that he changes sinful man and make a sinful man into a saintly individual. The word good here means beautiful. It could mean fair, it could mean well, it could mean profitable, but it also means precious. The word pleasant means delightful and sweet and lovely. And, and I want you to think of a sweet sound. A, a sound that's harmonious. You, you, you think of the joy of listening to pleasant music. Maybe it's Beethoven. I'm trying to think of something, but I, I can't. Um, all the notes there in that big orchestra, they're all sounding harmoniously. 
You think of different notes being played together, producing pleasant music, making a sweet sound. It's excellent. It's, it's, it's delightful. It's, it, it's, the psalmist is saying, this is good for us. This is pleasant. Isn't it sad? We, we could even go stronger this morning. It's actually sinful. When a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ doesn't recognize and accept another brother or sister in Christ and has no regard for him and, and refuses to help him and wants to harm him, wants to hinder him. How many of God's people have got themselves into bondage over something trifle that has happened in the house of God and then they've went off and they've isolated themselves from the house of God and they, they adopt the mindset, you know, there's nobody right but me. They're all out of step but me. And, and they close their mind to that. And they, and they stay at home. And, 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 they, and they stay away from the house of God. Do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking they're like a coal that has fallen out of the fire. I, I, I heard a story about a minister who visited a woman. And um, the minister didn't say anything when she brought him into the house. He was in the good room and the fire was on. And he went over to the fire and he lifted the set of tongs. And he, he brought a coal out and set it on the hearth. Just one coal. A lovely roaring fire. And um, when he set the coal out, of course, it, it smoked for a time. And then eventually went out. The minister sat there all that time and never said a word. The woman didn't speak. And, 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 and the minister didn't see. She, she hadn't been in a church for quite a long, long time. And then before he finished, he lifted the tongs again, lifted the coal, and put it back in the fire. And then he said, good day. And left the house and went out. He didn't have to say anymore. Because, you see, for that coal to burn... It needed to be in the fire and in the company of the other coals. And so often, people forget that God's people are meant to have fellowship together. Isn't that why Paul says in Hebrews 10 and 25, and not forsaken the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? You see, they had forgotten how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. If I could use a different illustration, think of medicine. And I remember when our children were small, and uh, I had an old saying that was taught to me by my late aunt, my trust is in the glory, and it was this, the better the better. Did you ever hear that? The better the better. And some of the medicine that we used to get, I remember as a child, was better. And our children used to complain that, that it was better. And it, it, no doubt it was a terrible taste to the senses. When a child's sick, even if the medicine is bitter, it's to make them better. And there's a better togetherness. These two words explain just how beneficial true unity is for the people of God. Now, I'm not saying we're going to agree in every point of doctrine, baptism, the second coming. Um, we're, we're not going to be clones of each other. You wouldn't want to be all clones of me. Uh, you, you would say, definitely not. Look at your hair. You need it cut. And I, I do need it cut. That's right. I'll be off to the barbers tomorrow uh, whenever he uh, reopens. I'm not saying that you surrender your conscience to the dictates of me or, or to the church. What I'm saying is this. 
It's good and pleasant that we dwell together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the psalmist is saying, that is a good and a pleasant thing. Notice the two illustrations here. It's like the precious ointment, as it says here, upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. This is a reference to the anointing oil that was placed upon Aaron when Aaron became the first high priest. And you can read about that in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 30, verses 30 right through to verse 34. You can read it again in Exodus 37 and verse 29. That holy anointing oil was made from sweet spices and it had a most refreshing fragrance. There was nothing unpleasant about it. It was a beautiful, sweet fragrance to all who smelt it. Here's another illustration. It was like the dew of Hermon. You, you think of the dew in the grass. You think of the dew in the leaves, the dew in the plants. It, it's such refreshing. And, and it was coming across the mountains, from the mountains of Z Hermon in the north, 100 miles from Jerusalem, right down to the mountains of Zion in the round Jerusalem. You think of a field full of corn with the sweet scent of dew that's upon it. You see, we can recognize this as history of the church. If we take one example, the day of Pentecost, turn over there to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. And what do we read there in Acts 2? We read this in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we read in all that believed were together and had all things common. Verse 46, and they continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, you've got to think of people, all different backgrounds, Jews, of different likes and dislikes, and here they are, saved now. By the grace of God, they're in union with Christ. They're in Jerusalem. They've got one heart and one mind. And they're in the bond of common fellowship. And they haven't set aside doctrine. They've continued steadfastly in that. They, they, they've continued in prayer. They, they've continued in fellowship. They, they've continued in the breaking of bread. Remember Paul writing to the church at Philippi, the two women that had fell out. And there was division and discord in the house of God. Paul says, it's not good. It's not pleasant. You're not being of one mind. You're, you're sowing discord. You're creating division. And he called them to be of one mind. In fact, he named them. And he called them to unite together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's a precious thing. Let me tell you something else. It's a principled thing. How is this possible? Look again at our text, 133 of Psalm 133, verse 2, it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Underline the word Aaron. How could different people from different backgrounds, different personalities, cultures, likes, tastes, dislikes, perspectives on particular things, how could they dwell together in fellowship and unity? How could they come and sing and stand and speak and be strong together? Here's the answer. They find it in union with Jesus Christ. 
There's a story told by R.C. Sproul on one occasion. He had 50 people from different parts of the world, young people that all came together, and they decided to visit his church. And some of them were Lutherans, and some were Methodists, and some were Pentecostals, and some were Roman Catholics, and they, they, they thought this was great. We're, we're all having fellowship together. And you know what he asked them? He said, could I ask the question to you young people? It's, it's this. How is a person justified before God? And you know, within five minutes, all the 50 young people had fell out because they had all a different perspective and they had a different view. And many of them, it wasn't biblical. And, and R.C. Sproul taught them how that a man could be justified legally and righteously before God through union with Jesus Christ, but only in union with Jesus Christ. And you see, that's the basis for our initial union, faith and repentance in Christ. And that's the basis for our continual union. You see, our union is in Christ. It centers in Christ. You think of the center of this psalm, verse 2, the person that's mentioned is Aaron. You've got the anointing of Aaron here with the uh, anointing oil made from those lovely sweet uh, spices. And um, the, the high priest, it was put on his head. And then it come to the beard. And then it run down his, his garments. Do you see that? The anointing oil flowed down. It ran down his garments. And the fragrant of the oil touched right down to the foot. It ran down, the Bible says. That's what it says in verse 2. It ran down. In other words, it was unstoppable. It flowed all the way to the bottom. Now, why does he introduce Aaron? Because he was the first high priest. And Jesus Christ, remember, is our great, glorious, gracious high priest. Was he not anointed with the oil of gladness above measure? Did he not receive the Holy Spirit without measure? See, Christ is our head. And, and just as the tribes were represented in Aaron and by Aaron as the head of his people, so Jesus Christ is our head. And we are members of his body. And we are in union with him. And therefore we're in union with each other. You see, without Jesus Christ the head, without him being at the center and core, there's no true unity. There can be no true unity divorced from Christ and his personal work or divorced from the cross of Christ. See, I believe that's the problem with false ecumenism. It is, as Donald Gillis said in his book, it's a unity in the dark. It's a unity that ignores the personal work of Christ. It ignores biblical doctrine. It, it, it's a unity that accepts error and falsehood. It, it's a unity without the Bible. It's an organizational unity. But it discounts and disregards the, the, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a unity that isn't rooted in the gospel. You see... We as God's people, we believe that God is our heavenly father. And we've been adopted into his family. And that Jesus Christ is our sole redeemer and savior. Think of Mary, my soul doth rejoice in God my savior. And are we not born of the spirit and indwelt by him? And led of the Spirit and filled and gifted. And the fruit of the Spirit produced within us. And, and how does it come to us? It all flows to us 
through Christ. Here's the, the miracle. Here's the manufacturing. Here's the making of this unity. It flows from the head right into the body. And that's why we display grace and mercy. And that's why we display love to God and love to the saints. That's why we have faith in him. Because it's his gift from him to us. You see, it's all because of Christ. It flows to us. If you turn over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look with me at verse 13. This is something that Paul emphasized. For by one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we are all baptized into one body. That's nothing to do with water baptism. That, that's a spiritual baptism. That's regeneration. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. And then he gets into talk about the different parts of the body. You think of what Paul again says in Ephesians 4. He said this, there is one body, Ephesians 4 and 4, and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And we who were strangers... We have been adopted into God's family. And Christ is our Lord and Savior. And we're indwelt by the Spirit. And we become members of the household of faith. And we're members of one another. You see, God's unity always draws us to Christ. It draws us to his cross. It draws us to his personal work. It centers on what he has accomplished and who he is. We're, we're all one in Christ. And we dwell together in Christ. And therefore we're not going to fight. We're not going to argue. We're not going to quarrel with each other. We're not going to fall out. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I have wronged you, come and tell me my sin. Tell me I need to repent and get right with God and right with you. See, this is a principled experience. I want you to notice also, this is a particular experience. Because, you see, true Christian unity can be hindered by sin. And we must guard against sin. And we need to heed the exhortation in the Bible that we do things for one another. Do you know where to love one another? Remember the Lord Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. We're to pray one for another. We're to encourage one another. We're to help one another. You think of those one another passages. I can't turn to them all. There are too many this morning. There's loads of them. God's word is full of commands and exhortations. And the inference is that if you don't love one another and pray for one another and help one another and encourage one another, if these commands are not carried out, Christian unity will be affected. Your, your fellowship will be affected. It'll be damaged and destroyed. Doesn't the Bible ask the question, from whence come wars and fights among you? Doesn't the Bible talk about if you debate and devour one another? You see, part of the problem in the Christian church today, and maybe even part of the problem in the Free Presbyterian Church, is that we don't really love one another as we should. 
Is that part of the reason why God's blessing is withheld? And the work of the gospel is hindered? You, you think of professing Christians full of self-love, think more about their self than others. More about self than the Savior, full of pride, full of self-righteousness, full of self-interest. It's, it's me first. You see, we're forgetting something fundamental, that we're not there to serve self. We're there to serve the Lord. And we must deal with envy and jealousy. And, and, and this idea that I can't stand to see a fellow brother or sister prosper. And, and I'm gossiping about my sister or brother. Or I'm harboring ill will against my brother. And I won't speak to my brother. And, and I won't help my brother. Many people think about things that are done in the past. But the, the trouble is, they have no testimony. He or she did this to me. They, they sinned against me. They failed me. They upset me. And the Bible says in Proverbs 6 and 19 about him that sows discord. And God hates those that sow discord. It's an abomination. It's like a secret sin. And if a, if a brother has bitter grudges against you and doesn't let it go, he's, he's not only hurting you, but he's hurting himself and he's hurting the Lord and the cause of Christ. And if he doesn't repent and get right with the Lord and doesn't see his own sin, then he hinders the blessing of God in himself and his family. Oh yes, we can have a different opinion, a different idea. But all of God's people should desire that the work goes forward as we serve the Lord together. That God is glorified. That God blesses us. That's a particular experience. Now, let me close. Not only the emphasis on a blessed partnership and through revival. Not only the experience being precious and principled in particular. But think about the expectation of a blessed partnership and true revival. Look, look as we close. Verse 3, as the Jew of Hermon and as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Notice it's plural. Could, could I point out to you that Mount Hermon is 100 miles to the north from Jerusalem. The mountains of Zion, well, well they're in the south. And you think of the wind of God. And it's blowing the fragrance of that Jew from Hermon down to Zion. That's the thought here. In other words, not only is Hermon affected, but Zion's affected. I wonder this morning, are other people affected? Because we're found in blessed union with Christ. And because we have him at the center of our lives, the blessing that we enjoy flows to others in our family. Does it flow to our neighbors? If you're a teacher in school, does it flow to the children whom you teach? You see, the church is meant to be a testimony to others. The blessing of God is there. Oh, I long for the blessing of God in me and in my church. Wasn't this true in the book of Acts? Acts 1, verse 14 and 15, the 10-day prayer meeting, 120 people. You think of 12 disciples. And then think of 120. The day of Pentecost, there was 3,000 converted. Later on, there's another 5,000 converted. Here's the church in the midst of blessing. Wonderful happenings in the days of Pentecost and, and the blessing of God flowing. And what happened? Well, if you turn over there to Acts 6 and look with me 
as we close, there was days of persecution. There, there was men arrested. Preachers were put in prison. There, there, there was people put to death. And in the midst of that then, there was a problem arose in the church. It says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. In other words, there was conflict. The poor widows were being neglected. Some were being treated differently. Some were left out, maybe off the food hamper or whatever. What did the apostles do? They took action. They appointed deacons. They didn't dismiss the complaint. And I, I just want to say, I, I never miss your, dismiss your complaint. If you, if you have something that's bothering you, come and talk to me. And what did they do? They took action. And the action, of course, was the appointed of deacons. And if you look with me at verse 7, here's the result. And the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Is this not our prayer for our church? For Carrie Duff, FPC? That we would put the emphasis on a Christian unity that's real and true? An emphasis on a unity that's good and pleasant? A unity that can be experienced that it's a precious thing amongst us? That, that it centers in Christ and his personal work. That that's how principled it is. A, 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 a unity that's particular in that we, we, we treat each other with, with love. We pray for one another. We help one another. We, we do our best one for another. That we might expect what? The blessing of God. Now God is sovereign. And this is what the scripture says as we finish. There the Lord commanded the blessing. Even life forevermore. And this is a vital, important aspect of true revival. According to the tribes. The psalmist was thinking of the tribes together. Worshipping the Lord. Witnessing for him. Working for his cause. And if there's anything that we need in our day. It's the blessing of God that brings again that manifestation of Christian unity where we're all for one and we're, we're all for the Lord with one heart, one mind and one accord. May the Lord bless you. Thanks for coming. All online, thank you for listening.